Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast, brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hello, everybody. My name is Min, and I'm your co-host today from NDS Property Australia. And you're here with uh, myself, Debbie, and Erin uh, from the SDA Housing Podcasts, a show that explains, highlights, guides, and brings awareness about all things SDA in this ever-changing NDIS world. Ladies, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Erin, uh, what's today's episode about? Um, Well, I think it was Debbie received an email from a client and he was asking a lot of questions and um, we've done this before. We've gotten a lot of questions in from a client and we thought it would be good to answer them on a a podcast because they were really good questions and they had a lot of good answers. So we thought, let's do it again with these ones. Debbie, what's so unique about uh, all these questions from this, uh, this client called Neil? Okay, I guess they are. He's really wanting to know about the data. Um, how we get the data to uh, asking where the history of that data is, uh, are the statistics that out there realistic? Uh, what is the background of um, our pricing um, uh, incomes that we put on our stock list? Uh, lots of questions like that. So really good questions that probably haven't been addressed before. Cool. Well, Erin, do you want to start with all the questions? Yep. Um, so the first one is, how do, you, how do you identify areas, builders, and NDIS providers to match with investors? Okay, so the answer to that is that we work closely with builders and providers who are aware of supply and demand as well as pipeline constructions in any of these areas being considered. Providers generally have a tighter finger on the pulse as they have the clients looking for homes so they know where the dwellings are required. They also know more in general than the the NDIS as to where the pipeline builds are happening. Builders usually have more of an idea of this as well. Um, It's vitally important to work with builders and providers who specialise in SDA. The builders and developers we work with around Australia are all heavily invested in building in high demand areas And we also work with builders on investor-led builds, meaning that we have investors approach us who have land they wish to use. And once we've determined that the property is in an area with a suitable demand, we'll approach the builders we use in that area to bring into the project. Min, anything to add to that? That pretty much covers it, Debbie. Um, That's not to say that that... That that your answers are, are always the case for every single scenario that pops up there. We do get a lot of builders, we sorry, developers who come to us, um, having not done their homework in a particular area of uh, of concern, and we have to work backwards to figure out whether the proposed project they're putting it in will realistically fill up properly. 
with the right participants and or um, if the demand in the area is sufficient. So sometimes it's hit and miss with some certain stock that comes our, our way for us to review. Um, but most of the time we are pretty conscious of the demand in that area from providers, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, next question is, it was stated in your website that by 2030 there would be demand from 30,000 SDA participants. I would like to see government data for that. Very, very good question. Okay, so this takes us back to a, a document that we've actually got as a download on our website called the SDA Provider and Investor Brief, dated April 2018, put out by the NDIA. Now, in that, it specifically states, in 2011, the Productivity Commission estimated that around 28,000 people or 6% of NDIS participants will require SDA funding at full scheme. Now, take that a bit further, and in the 2021-2022 NDIS Annual Financial Sustainability Report that was put out, the NDIA are now uh, estimating that by June 30, 2032, an estimated number of NDIS participants will increase to 1,017,522. So in discussions with different SDA providers around Australia that we're connected with, uh, the forecast of 6% of all NDIS participants being uh, eligible for SDA funding, um, they're, they're still saying that's going to hold true, they believe. So if we're looking at NDIA predictions of 6% of over a million, then that number of 30,000 could conceivably actually be as high as 60,000. Yeah. So in the last few months, we're talking November, December 2022, the government came out with revised numbers and forecasts saying it'll be a million participants between 2032. So this has been mentioned many times in the news and online and on the NDS website. Um, it's all there. Yeah. Is that um, a million with SDA funding? No, no, no. That's a million, that's in, a million in the NDIS in total. Hmm. And yeah, that 6% is really the figure that we work on. Yeah. So, okay. you know, that, that may change. We don't know that. But the, the, the main providers that are out there working, the main SDA providers, who feel that they've got a much better understanding of this because they're the ones that actually do deal with the care organisations, with the clients who need this housing, they're still saying that 6% is probably yeah. going to hold true. 6.1% on the figure, and the figure is being presented by the government itself, yeah. the government actuaries, yeah. 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 Um, well, I guess following on from that last question was um, – on an attached data sheet to the original email we received, a total of 22,479 SDA participants are currently, that's what the current number, um, and there's expected to be 7,500 more participants in in the next seven years. Is that realistic? Uh, well, yeah. Given those above numbers um, that we were just quoting, it is generally accepted throughout the industry that 30,000 will be the minimum number of SDA-funded participants. Cool. If not 60. I, I just want to stress to everyone listening that there are 4.5 million people in Australia who are disabled. Mm -hmm. 
4.5 million. So don't think that it is impossible to reach a 30,000 number, let alone a 60,000 number of high needs funding for specialist disability accommodation. Okay. Um, at the moment, half of the half of the 555,000 people in the NDIS are under 18 years of age. So, you know, if anyone's going to question these numbers, I'm going to say right now, the other 500,000 are yet to be born. They're still, they're still being born. They're, they're young people with autism and and all these different disabilities that are yet to come through the system because they're just not born yet. Mm. It's just all too young to be tested for disabilities. So that's the truth of the matter, you know. Um, okay. Next question. What is the average SDA participant count per home? For example, 2.0, 2.5, 3.0. some four-bedroom homes on your website and the brochure has two participants as potential income when I thought there should be three. Uh, the actual number is 1.9 per dwelling, which will drop down to 1.8 in the coming years. Is that um, like average per dwelling, do you mean? Yes. Across Australia, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And across all dwelling types. So that's why in our assessments, it's always two. If it's a four, if it's a three or four bedroom, you know, um, dwelling, we're going to assume a two participant house. Mm-hmm. The only time we would, if it's a four bedroom house, that we would assume we could get three participants in there is if it is a larger floor plan. And we're talking, you know, 260, 280 square meters and up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an additional living space. There is additional storage space. There, uh, yeah, just so that there is room for three participants, along with carers, to comfortably reside in that home with, with um, courtyards and big alfrescos and big yards. So yeah. you know, no one's saying you can't have a third or fourth participant in the house. It's just got to have the space to allow them, allow them to live comfortably without being in each other's. Um, physical space all the time, that's all, yeah. Especially if these are high physical support clients. They generally are in an electric wheelchair. These are much bigger than normal. They might have other equipment. So that storage space is really imperative. The only times when I think you would consider a third participant in a four- or five-bedroom home is in those regional rural areas that do not have enough stock for SDA. So, for example, if you're in Metro City, Melbourne, you know there's tons of houses being built for SDA around Melbourne in an outer ring suburbs. We know that. They're all out there. But if you go four or five five hours out of a Metro City, like rural areas, and there's not much stock being built or developed – you probably will see a higher number than 1.9 in that dwelling. So three is is quite mm-hmm. comfortable because there's no, there's no other housing in the area. So you'll see more in, in the house, yeah. I also want to point out that you've got to also look at this from the, the actual participant's perspective. Now, this is going to be their forever home. They don't want to live with a lot of other people generally. A lot of them want to live on their own or they might be happy sharing with one other. You know, it's 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 your home, it's your life, uh, and to be forced to share with two or three other people is is not something that they necessarily would want. You know, this is all about choice and control, which is the NDIS byline. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's just something to think of 
put yourself in their position and what would they want? And is it likely that you're going to get a lot of people sharing the larger homes with three or four tenants in a home? Also, from a care organization's perspective, the carers, they generally don't want more people per home either. For them, it's easier to provide the high quality care when they've got less people in one dwelling to care for. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, next question. So it has taken um, seven years, so 2016 to now, to house 22,479 SGA participants in how many houses? If the average house has 2.5 participants and there is a need for 7,500 SGA participants by 2030, then a need of 3,000 homes is required or 428 per year across Australia. I'll, I'll do a quick little answer to that question before Debbie gives more detail. The person asked this question doesn't realise that that 22,479 is composed of mostly legacy homes. Okay? So that question says, oh, how many, if it took seven years to house 22,000 people, well, those legacy homes were already in place before the SDA came out, so to speak. So, Debbie, you want to answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. So, this new SDA funding is has been put in place to um, encourage the development of what's known as new build SDA. And eventually, all SDA dwellings will have to be new build. At the moment, there are only 2,849 enrolled new build dwellings. Now, obviously, 2,849 cannot house 22,479 participants. So, yes, the majority are in the old style housing. If you want to know the real number, it's 2849 times 1.9. Yeah. So that's the number of places. Yeah, so that's about 5,000 people placed into brand new builds. So back to your number, 22,479 less 5,000. Well, that means there's 17,000 people who are funded for SDA still not living in a brand new SDA home yet who are yeah. stuck in legacy. Yeah. And this is based on current levels of SDA funding participation. So as we went back, as we were discussing in an earlier question, with a potential 30,000, if not anywhere up to 60,000 participants having SDA funding in the future, obviously this demand is massive and there's a lot, lot more dwellings that need to be built between now and 2030, 2032. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add, Min, or is that? No, um, you know... Six, there's 20, we need 25,000 to 28,000 more new builds mm-hmm. in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the way we're going, we're not going to hit that number. So people who are worried about saturation across Australia, well, there could be saturation of supply in certain areas, yes, in certain parts of certain cities, yes, but not saturation overall because overall we're not going to hit the saturation point. But in some 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 parts of, of certain cities, it will be, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, will there be an oversupply of SDA homes in the future causing lower occupancy rates? Well, complete follow-on from the last yeah. answer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, 
Absolutely. We are, we've already seen oversupply in certain areas um, where an era was opened up. We knew there were a lot of participants and all the builders and developers went in there and started building like crazy and boom, there were 50 new homes for 30 participants or whatever it might have been. I'll, I'll give you three examples. Mm-hmm. One is in Brisbane called Logan, south of Brisbane. There's definitely oversupply of HPS housing in the area. Number two, um, Tarnee, Werribee in Melbourne, definitely oversupply of HPS homes in those areas. And in Perth, Gosnells, southeast of Perth, 30, 25, 30 minutes out, definitely going to be an oversupply of HPS houses in Gosnells. So we do have our finger on the pulse and on certain cities and areas, yes, um, and it, it all depends upon what you're building in those areas. So when... You say oversupply, oversupply of what? Oversupply of HPS homes or IL homes or robust homes or FA homes. So that question could definitely be asked um, but better in terms of um, breakdown of numbers, yeah. Yeah, so for example, in Logan, we know there's too many high physical supports, but they have a demand still for robust homes. So it's it's really important to understand the supply and demand, not just in general, but of the different dwelling types. Mm. And uh, this is why we are now a little plug for our little um, sub-series of podcast episodes, SDA Unlocked, where we do delve into that data on, on a very specific level because we think that that is one of the most important things you need to understand with this whole NDIS property business. Mm. Definitely. One um one of the things we we caught out quick, quickly was the uh, potential oversupply of SDA homes in Townsville. Um, when we realised there was a fair bit happening up there, we spoke to two of our clients, Matthew from our office, uh, to com- change the client's mind to get off HBS and go to Robust. So we were able to stop the BA going in and get it redone as Robust Housing with the builder, and then that was agreed to and. And off we go, changing over to hurry bus. So if we can, we'll definitely tell the clients the truth and tell them, look, it's too late or it is not too late to switch, make the switch over to an alternative design or category, yeah. Yeah. So how much does the NDIS provider take out of the income for it, for an investor as a percentage most real estate agencies take 7%? Most of the SDA managers, SDA providers, take anywhere from 10 to 15%. So when we do our um, prices on our stock list, uh, we estimate it halfway at 12.5%. Because there are some at 12.5% and no GST. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any laws restricting who can be an investor? For example, can an NDIS provider own them? No restrictions. Anyone can own an SDA dwelling and NDIS providers can and do own SDA dwellings. Brilliant. Um, Is there a date for legacy SDA-approved homes to not be used? Yes. Well, well, the phasing out, you mean? Yeah, I think so. There's no date? I believe there is. I believe that it is. there is a 10-year date that has been put on uh, from when the SDA funding was fully implemented in any one state, 10 years later, the legacy homes in that state will cease to be 
funded. Mm-hmm. And rather, that means the participants will no longer receive SDA funding if living in those properties. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's legacy homes are group homes as well, aren't they? Or some? some yeah, they can be. Yeah. Usually most legacy homes are group homes because they're like eight, nine bedrooms. Yeah. That's not to say you, you can still get brand new group homes as well. Yeah. yeah. Maximum yeah, yeah. of five yeah. tenants. Okay. Um, are the homes already built and ready to purchase or does the investor purchase it and finance the build for 10 to 12 months? 99% of the time, they are off the plan builds. Very rare for us to come across a newly built empty house for sale. We have three or four of them for sale right now ourselves, um, but they're rare, very, very rare. Um, because of the major costs involved to get the ball rolling with the development and construction of the of the house or, or dwelling, it's very rare to have a, a, a build a build at first and sell it second. Yeah, very rare. Mm-hmm. And secondly, most people who have invested into this scheme, it's it's still very new in terms of it would have only probably happened in the last few years. So either that construction, especially in Queensland where everything has been delayed so much, um, those builds are maybe still um happening or the the investors holding they don't want to sell it mm-hmm. so yeah very few new properties are coming on everything off the plan yeah um okay last question it seems important to me that as an investor to have a strong relationship with the ndis providers in the area who recommend the sda participants to rent the property yes absolutely it is very important to have a relationship with SDA providers. As a service to our buyers... I, I want to correct that question yeah. or, or the, the definition there. Sure. It's important to have a good relationship between the SDA provider, wherever they are, with the local SIL providers in that in that location, yes. So we get a lot of SDA providers we work with who are based anywhere in, in, in Australia, servicing other areas around Australia. But it's the local SIL providers on site in that area that are relevant to that location. Yes, mm. not the SDA provider. Yeah, that is true. Um, I just wanted to add that as a service to our buyers, um, if a property is not provider led, I'll go back into what that means in a moment. Um, we ensure that the investor is introduced to providers that we recommend, yeah. that we work closely with. Uh, and that gives them the opportunity to engage a provider months before completion of the property, and that will allow the provider time to procure participants because some of these participants may still need to apply for their SDA funding, and that does take time. Back onto the provider-led, we do have a number of packages on our stock list that uh, do come with this status. What that basically means is that the builder and the provider have worked together to put a package together in an area where the provider is confident that they will be able to source participants. Mm-hmm. Can I add also that sometimes there are flaws with this, this arrangement. We present an opportunity to invest in a certain product or area and we present the provider to the investor and the provide and the um the the investor may go okay well I want to shop around and they shop around and they shop around and before you know it 
it's almost built. And we go back to the provider and the investor and say, hey, have you arranged marketing? Have you have you been sourcing participants for your house? And they say, the client, the provider says to us, the, the client never engaged us. So we did nothing. And then we realized, holy, oh my God, let's, why haven't you engaged the provider? And there's, a, there's several reasons. One, they forgot. Two, they'll be shopping around for a cheaper provider. And three, for whatever reason. Yeah. We had a client who jumped around from one provider to another provider to another provider to back to the first provider over a 12-month period. And we were just shocked that he didn't manage. You need 12 months marketing lead up to the completion of the house to find your two or three participants. If you really want those three participants, I tell you, you've got to start marketing. Um, the provider must start marketing on your behalf way, way in advance. Otherwise, you end up with the two average, 1.92 average, right? Because when it's built, it will take three to six months to fill up those two rooms. So that's 12 months plus the six months, 18 months to get two tenants of marketing. So it's so important that you have a good relationship with your provider, SDA provider, who's going to work with you to source participants for your home. And we cannot stress enough the importance of that because it's not up. We we can only lead, you know, we can only remind you and remind you and tell you to sign up with the provider. But if an investor just wants to go, oh, I'll just think about it, then there's so, only so much we can do to get them get the ball rolling. It will be too late. Yeah. And are all SDA providers created equal? Of course not. Uh, we we do work with a number of them around Australia, so they're the ones that we will recommend. Of course, it's up to the investor to choose who they wish to go with. But uh, at the end of the day, you really do need to make sure you get into that process early, for sure. Mm -hmm. All righty. Well, that's all of the questions. Okay. Well, thank you, Erin, for giving us a chance to go through these. And, and thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil, for asking these fabulous questions. And mm -hmm. we hope that that has um, given everybody listening a bit more of an idea of some of the other considerations. So, Debbie, have you actually responded to Neil with all these? I have. Yet? We've actually had a had a chat. I didn't give him the full answer to all of these questions. Yes. He's going to get an advanced copy of this recording. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Anybody else has other questions that haven't been answered by us in a podcast episode or on our website, then, you know, we love to to um, educate and inform in this manner. So please send through your questions. Let us know and we will answer them. Perfect. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.